Thank you, Sean, for lifting the tungsten podium. So, man, oh man, wow. That was definitely a wow. How many of you guys, I didn't get to see how many hands, how many of you guys have heard Leif Hetland before? <clears throat> so I think he, uh, he's amazing, but I think he's seen like 600,000 Muslims come to the Lord through signs and wonders. Yeah, there's been like many times in his life where he, like, he's been at gunpoint, the Lord shows up, and like all the people holding the guns and getting saved and that kind of stuff. And so he just, and he, does, he carries a, a revelation of the Father's love. If you've ever just looked into Leif's eyes, it's pretty, it's it's worth it just for that. It's like these pools of love. It's really hard to describe, but uh, there's no one like him on the planet. So if you guys, I encourage you just come out tonight. Even if you're not considering going to the school, just come and Leif is just, uh, he's just at another level. One final announcement. You saw the first declaration we did was resources for new businesses. And um, how many of you guys realize that you are probably that resource for the new business? <clears throat> Like new businesses, and you're not going to be just like walking along, eating French fries, and all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, this business just happened. How did? No, 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 no. You are the one who's going to make it happen. So we've got something th starting this Wednesday called Zero to Launch Kingdom Business Startup. And so we'll be going through a process. Uh, I got certified in a process, and uh, part of it is from um, <clears throat> MIT. It actually is our entrepreneurship program. And so we're actually going to be looking at how do you start a business, go from idea to iteration to income, and hopefully with the idea of impact. So it'll be a 14 uh, sessions over seven months, twice a month. But you do need to sign up. So it'll be live here at 8 o'clock. It'll be from 8 to 9. Each session will be an hour. We're not going to go to these multiple hours, taking a long time. Probably be about 45 minutes of teaching and then 15 minutes of coaching, case studies, those type of things. And so, but you have to sign up. So how many of you are planning on going? Okay, that's good. I've seen the numbers of people who have signed up, and you have not signed up yet. So... <laughs> You can either go to the uh, Design Private Facebook page or go to the Design Web page, and I'll probably check your emails. I think we've been sending them through there. And so, uh, so yes, it starts this Wednesday at 8 o'clock, and if you cannot come in person, it's okay. They'll be archived. You'll have access to them if you signed up. Did I mention that yet? Okay. All right. Well, hey, I want to uh, continue talking about finances here. And so anytime you talk about finances in church, people get nervous, and that's just because they haven't settled the issue of who's Lord over their money. Like if we talk about identity, people are like, yeah, identity. You talk about healing. Yeah, healing. Talk about money. Oh, boy. And I understand there's been abuses. You know, there's been bad teaching on uh, finances. But there's also been bad teaching on heaven, but I still plan on going there. Right? So don't let wrong teaching keep you from the truth of what God has. Why do you think that healing and finances have been fought against harder than any other doctrine in the past 30 years? Because the enemy can keep you sick and poor. He's going to severely limit your destiny. So before we get too offended, let me just go ahead and give you my definition of prosperity. You guys ready? It's that you have more than enough finances to fulfill every divine assignment God has for you and enough left over to help others fulfill theirs. Notice I didn't say every Christian's going to be a zillionaire and we're all going to be racing our Rolls Royces to church. If you don't have a Rolls Royce, that's fine. I, I, you know, that's, that's neither here nor there. What I'm saying is you're going to have provision for your vision. So that means you can't be wealthy unless you know your vision, because how are you ever going to know if there's enough for it, right? So part of that. So provision for your vision, so you're going to have enough money to fulfill every divine assignment God has for you, and enough left over to help others fulfill theirs. And so your, uh, your, your finances are going to be in proportion to your assignment. So someone who's called to reach the Hollywood elite, their finances are going to look different than the farmer who's called to uh, farm in Uganda. Which one's better? Neither one's better. You're going to be rewarded in heaven based on your faithfulness here. Okay, and so we're going to look at, uh, I'm, I want to look at today what I believe is the foundation for supernatural finances. And so 
If, um, <clears throat> let me just kind of deal with this a little bit. A lot of Christians, what happens is they get angry with God because their finances don't seem to be working. And so they, uh, they get mad. They're like, you know, I tried this sowing and reaping thing. Let me talk to you about trying the sowing and reaping thing. Here's what happens is um, if you try to increase your finances through sowing and reaping when you haven't had the heart conditions right, what happens is you're just manipulating God with your money. Okay, we've all, heard, we've all heard sermons like this. What I'm about to tell you is 100% true, but what happens is when the spirit of mammon gets hold of it, it twists it, and it doesn't work in your life. Are you guys ready for this? This is how, are we okay? All right. You're charged up. Yeah, maybe you're still in the, in the glory fog. I don't even know. So, so here's, a, here's a sermon that might look like this. Who in here needs more finances? Yeah, preacher, we want more finances. Begin uh, bringing out scriptures about how poverty and lack are not God's will. It is not God's will for you to be poor, Okay. How many of you guys realize the poorest way to help the poor is to be poor? If poverty was such a good thing, why did Jesus tell us to give to the poor? Wouldn't that have just ruined their spirituality? We begin to teach about the biblical principle of sowing and reaping. How if you sow generously, you'll reap generously. That's 100% true, and in context, it's talking about finances. Some may even bring out how there's a 30, 60, yay, even a 100-fold return on your finances, Right? We've all heard sermons like this, and it's like, oh, my, give to get, give to get. If I want to get more, you know, we hear things like this. If you've got a need, so uh, just because it rhymes doesn't mean it supersedes Scripture. <laughs> Here's what happens with this, guys, is when the spirit of mammon gets hold of our hearts, what happens is it twists our relationship with God. So now I'm using God to get me more money. If we had a conference called Supernatural Finances, there'd be a lot of believers who would show up thinking, how can I get God to give me more money? How can I use these principles to make him give me more money? Principles without the prince is more like witchcraft than kingdom. Did I hear preach it, buddy? That was a good one. Yeah, I like that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh. The problem is it reverses our relationship with God. We become the master and God becomes our servant to go get us more money. Here, God, here, God, go get me some more money. <laughs> I'm giving. I'm expecting my return. You can demand because I've been tithing. You can put a demand on God. Don't start bossing around God, guys. I'm so tired of this foolishness of uh, this entitlement and getting all fat and sassy, snapping Z's in God's face, telling him to go get you money. How are we doing? I'm all for declarations, partnering with what his word has said, recognizing it's completely up to him. Jesus paid for this. I'm coming into agreement with that. Thank you, Jesus. Money is, your, money is just a tool to help you accomplish your kingdom purpose, be a blessing, and expand the kingdom. It's just a tool. So that means don't get your self-worth from your net worth. Okay? And so I've heard it uh, taught so many times, um, if you've got financial lack, you need, to, you need to sow and reap. You've got to need sow a seed. Jesus actually taught the exact opposite of this. Listen to Matthew 6, 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor store in barns, and yet your heavenly Father provides for them all. Religion tells you you've got to get it through sowing and reaping. The world tells you you've got to get it through hoarding, storing in barns. Oh, you better save up for a rainy day. You've got a rainy day fund. You better have three to six months of a rainy day fund. Where's that in the Bible? I'm not saying it's not wise to have a storehouse. Deuteronomy 28, God said he would command a blessing on your storehouse. I mean, you realize you can't command a blessing on your storehouse if you don't have a storehouse. But saving out of fear of something horrible happening, so I need to have a big enough pile of money so that I don't have to trust God if a bad problem happens. How many of you guys recognize that's the world's way of doing it? I believe in saving to sow. 
I'm saving until God tells me what to do with this money. Some of that sowing may mean putting it into a ministry, putting it in the kingdom. Some of that sowing may mean putting it into my own business that I'm starting. All right, we'll see. Sowing and reaping is a correct biblical principle. It's just not to be used for getting your needs met. So the foundation for uh, supernatural finance is recognizing, uh, God, I can trust you. Uh, it's, God is my source. God is my source. My job is just my resource. Never confuse the source with the resource. If you get this principle, you'll literally be able to walk into your job on Monday, the boss hands you a pink slip, and your heart rate doesn't go, get up because you know that nobody can take better care of you than dad. Guys, until we have these issues settled, we're going to be using money, we're going to be fearful, we're going to be just running around, scrambling around, trying to, like a bunch of orphans, trying to get our needs met when we've got an abundant father who's made promises that take care of us. I believe that the, uh, one of the major reasons why the finances is not more, uh, why more Christians aren't seeing blessing in their finances is that we just haven't trusted God in our finances. We've still got a lot of fear in all these things. God can't pour his supernatural into fear, worry, doubt, and unbelief. So we've got to take care of these things first. Are we all right? So I want to, uh, I want to use a word here, uh, the word steward, S-T-E-W-A-R-D, steward. And I believe God, he, he reveals that this is kind of like the level one. I think a lot of times we think of a steward as like, wow, someone who's amazing with money. And he actually is saying, you can't even be my disciple if you think you own stuff. So I think we've got to, we've got to go down to this thing. So before I talk about what a steward is, I'm going to give you a picture of a bad steward. How many of you guys saw that theological um, documentary called Dumb and Dumber? How many of you guys saw the movie? <laughs> Not recommending the movie. This is simply for illustrative purposes only. Are we Okay. And so in it, you've got Lloyd and Harry, and they, uh, they find this big suitcase full of money at the airport. Um, one of them drops, he's a limo driver, drops the girl off. They find this big suitcase full of money. So the whole rest of it is them trying to get to Aspen, Colorado, where the beer flows like wine. And so they're trying to get there and uh, locate the lady who left behind this, uh, this you know, suitcase full of money. And uh, they make a promise to themselves. They say, we are only going to spend abs- that which is absolutely necessary to help us get to Aspen, Colorado. And so... Um, they're, they're going to be good stewards, right, of this thing. And so they, in one scene, they pull up in this orange Lamborghini that they bought. And as they open the door, there's like packages that, they, you know, they're just spilling out if they've gone shopping. And they come out in these ridiculous ski outfits. And it's like, like this hot pink ridiculous thing. And uh, Jim Carrey's got a stack of $100 bills. And he's standing there. And the people are, you know, carrying up the suitcases and all the packaging. He's like, there you go. There you go, just slapping, you know, hundreds of dollars in each one, and then they turn, and he's got these ridiculous, like, elephant skin fur boots on, and he's, you know, going up the thing. And, um, and so, obviously, they're not being good stewards, and at the end of the movie, the, the, um, what happens is the suitcase was actually ransom money that they were supposed to pay to release this lady's husband, and so, uh, so the bad guys got him at gunpoint, and they're like, aha, we finally got the suitcase, and he opens it up, and the suitcase doesn't have money, and it's a suitcase full of receipts, They've completely blown, you know, whatever, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the, the, the guy's like, what is this? And Jim Carrey's like proud of himself. He's like smiling like, yep, yep. Uh, we've kept very um, fastidious you know, receipts and everything. And he's like, those are all uh, receipts and IOUs. He's like, that's as good as money. And he picks up one. He's like, $275,000 for the Lamborghini. You might want to hold on to that one. Okay, that, that is a bad steward. He was taking someone else's money and he was acting like it was his and just doing crazy things. with. Okay, that, everything that you just said there, if you just reverse it, that's going to be a good steward. So let's just go through some biblical things of a good steward, okay? And so um, 
Some people may think of, uh, they think of steward, they think of, hold on, I thought we're sons and daughters. How can you say, a steward is, is someone who manages someone else's property or monies, money. They never actually own the money themselves. And so some people are like, hold on, how can I be a steward and a son and daughter and all these things? You have to recognize the Bible will put truths in tension. Okay, so one doesn't cancel out the other. They build layers of understanding of our relationship with God. We're st- how many of you guys recognize, even though we're sons and daughters, we're still slaves of Christ? You know, Paul calls himself a bond servant, which was a voluntary slave of Christ. We're servants, okay? So th- that doesn't go away when you recognize that you're a friend of God. That doesn't go away when you recognize you're a son and daughter. That doesn't rec- go away when you recognize you're the bride of Christ. That doesn't go away when you recognize that you've been made one with him. How many of you recognize all those are true at the same time? The Bible's just, the salvation is just that good, okay? And so that doesn't, uh, it doesn't uh, negate that fact. But here's the, here's the foundation in just a phrase. You guys ready for this? God is the owner, I'm his money manager. You can literally step into financial freedom today because financial freedom starts when you turn your finances over to God. When you recognize God's the owner, I'm his money manager. That's why I want to help us actually step into financial freedom today. You step into um, complete financial freedom when the income from your investments is greater than your living expenses. That way you never have to ask money for permission to obey God or do what's in your heart. So, boy, if there was only a course that taught that. I have one. Okay. Uh, Actually, we're going to be doing a 90-day challenge with this church through that in January. So we'll be uh, taking people deeper into that. I'll be good. All right. So uh, turn with me to Matthew 13. I I believe the scriptures will come up there. Matthew chapter 13, this is Jesus telling a parable. He says this, the kingdom of heaven is like. What he's doing is he's pulling back the curtain. He's giving us a, a, a peek into what the heavenly realm is like. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. So you can imagine this. This guy's walking along. I don't know if he discovered gold, if he discovered oil, whatever the thing was. But it was, he knew that the, the reward was so much more worth than the price of the land. He, he hides it. He goes back. He sells everything. And I, I love how it says, in his excitement, he wasn't like, oh, man, look at the price I got to pay for this field. You got to be kidding me. I'm going to have to empty out my savings account. I'm going to have to. No, no, no. In his excitement. Okay, look at the, and uh, Jesus tells another parable right, right behind it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for, a choice, for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great price or of infinite value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Here's Jesus. He's using two pictures to describe the heart of a person who is ready to step into the kingdom realm. And what I want you to notice um, is they weren't begrudgingly going in there. You know, do you think the businessman who's found this pearl was sweating over the cost? You know, do you think uh, the one who found the treasure in the field, perhaps, you know, like I said, oil or gold? You know, I mean, do, do you remember, um, oh, what was that, Beverly Hillbillies? Remember that? Um, you know, you got Jed Clampett. He's the, he's the hillbilly, and he discovers uh, oil, black gold, Texas tea on his property, right? And so it completely changes his life. And so um, this, Jesus is saying, this is what it's like when someone sees... So, Counting the cost is really just getting clarity about the bargain in the kingdom of God. A lot of people like to talk about, oh, you got to pay a price. Oh, there's a high price you got to pay. You got to pay a price. You really need to get clarity about the bargain because the price, when you pay the price, you'll be doing it in his joy, in his excitement. It's like someone coming and saying, hey, son, daughter, um, I'd like to give you the Coca-Cola company, but I'm going to need you to give up all the Coke bottles in your refrigerator. 
Like, how many of you guys know, like, that, like, you wouldn't be focusing on what? I got to get rid of all the cans of Diet Coke? Like, right now? I have to give it all up to you? Like, no one would be focusing on what they're giving up. They'd be focusing on what they gained. And that's the point of this parable that Jesus is telling. He's saying the person who's ready to step into the reality of the kingdom and their finances and their life, whatever it might be, they have to have this heart condition and recognize there's no greater opportunity than for me to be able to partner with God in my finances, for being able to partner with God in my life. We're not focusing on what we're giving up. We're focusing on what we gain. It's kind of like this. Um, Look at Luke 14. What am I doing here? Luke 14, verses 26 and 27 and 33. He kind of amplifies this from another angle. Luke chapter 14, uh, I'll be starting in verse 26, 27, I'll skip into 33. Verse 26, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Wow. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Verse 33, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. This point of this passage is, if you think there's anything more valuable than following Jesus, you're never going to make it as a follower because you're going to get too distracted by all the other things that look, all the other shiny objects. It's kind of like saying, you can almost hear Jesus saying, verily, verily, I say unto thee, unless you learn addition and subtraction, you'll never be able to do geometry. You'll never be able to do algebra. It's like if you can't even see that Jesus is more valuable than Father, Mother, all these other things, if you can't get that part right, then you're never going to make it as a follower. I remember I uh, coached the boys' basketball, uh, Joshua and Wesley, they were like six and seven. And so, um, you know, at, at that level, you're trying to give them the basics, right? But six and seven-year-old boys, they did not want to do the basics. They all wanted to work on, uh, you know, going between their legs, wanted to do three-pointers. Um, some of them were trying to do half-court shots. And I'm like boys, verily, I mean, you know, picture just, it was like, like, like those wind-up dolls where you like pull the thing and they're spinning it. Like picture a dozen of those. That's what the practice was like. Like all these kids just everywhere running around, you know. I'm like, verily, verily, I say unto thee, if you can't do layups, you can't do three-pointers. You know, if you can't dribble down the court without looking at the ball, you're never going to be able to do a hard crossover dribble through your legs or around the back when someone's defending you, Right? That's what Jesus is saying here. If we can't get the basics down, you're not going to be able to make it into some of the advanced stuff. Are we guys seeing this? The foundation for supernatural finances is God is the owner, I'm his money manager. Giving 10% out of habit is not what Christ is after. We went over this, was that two weeks ago? We must renounce all ownership of all wealth and possessions. Yeah, this would be a good time to get offended right now. So, Some people are like, God's after the 10%. No, 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 it's actually way worse than that. It's the 100 that he's after. We must become obedient stewards. One place Jesus says, lose your life and you will find it. You can almost say for finances, um, if you're not willing to turn your finances over to God, if you turn your finances over to God, you will find him in your finances. If you do not turn your finances over to God, You're on your own. Good luck. Thank you. I wrote that one down during worship. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate that. Verse 32, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Very next verse, salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. 
He's saying, without this kind of commitment, everything else for Christ is useless and shallow. We will be salt without taste. We will be useful for nothing. Guys, this is, uh, here's, here's the word, lordship. Well, I, I remember there was a teaching around, uh, when I was kind of growing up. It was like, it's one thing to make him savior. It's another thing to make him lord. How many of you guys have heard that phrase, that, that's, that's stupid? <laughs> guys, if Jesus isn't your lord, who is? Like, 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 it's all one package. It's not like, I'll take all the benefits, but I don't want to follow you. That's not the gospel. Pray this prayer so you can get into heaven when you die. That's not the gospel. The gospel is sell all, leave all. God, I, I, like, I see that getting to follow you is an opportunity of your lifetime. Of course I'm going to get rid of these Coke cans to inherit all this. That's the foundation for everything. And unless you have that, tasteless salt, manure pile. There we go. I'm quoting scripture this time, so there we go. I'll tell you the person who gets it when it comes to this thing. I'll tell you, there's nobody greater than the FedEx driver. Oh, man, this guy's unbelievable. He is driving around, taking orders from somebody else, and just passing out these packages. He's never even worried, like, oh, no, what happens if I run out of packages? He's aware that there is an infinite supply coming from a greater source than just his little truck. There's kingdom finances right there. Like, Jim, I don't want to do that. That's fine. You can maintain control, and you, can meet, you will be responsible for your own increase. That's not freedom, guys. I don't care how much money you have. Some of the wealthiest people I know are some of the ones who worry about money the most. Freedom starts when I turn my finances over. I mean, we were singing about it today. I mean, it was Natalie's vision of the whirlpool of just letting go and falling into his goodness. That's what I'm talking about, recognizing I'm not talking about selling everything and giving it all away. We're going to get to that in just a second. What I'm talking about is there's a heart condition that says, God, it all belongs to you anyway. If you, think I'm, if you think when you give, let's just say you give 10%. If you think that I'm giving God 10% of my money, you're already deceived. It all belongs to him. And until you step into that reality, all right. Let's say that the FedEx driver uh, sees a package from the store, Altered State. Has any of you ladies recognized Altered State? Yeah, it's awesome because I don't have to ever shop for my wife again. I just get gift cards to Altered State. What was happening is I would, uh, I would you know, I, would, I was actually like calling different people in the church. I'm like, hey, like taking pictures. I'm like, what do you think of this for Mary, this and that? It all got returned. Every time I buy her presents, it gets returned. Altered State gift cards? I'm done. It's like, it's over there. Okay. Alter State, you can send the commission checks to Zion Christian Fellowship. And so um, imagine the FedEx driver and he sees this Alter State package. He's like, Altered State, my wife loves this place. They got great clothes there. If he begins to act like the owner and take it home and give it to his wife, how many know there's going to be problems? When the manager begins to act like the owner, there's problems. Think of any business. You know what that's called? Entitlement. Until entitlement dies and the Christian blessing will kill you. Because you're going to think it's yours. I deserve this. I've been giving. I've been working. I've been doing this. Abraham was blessed not because he was a genius businessman. It's because he had the blessing of Abraham on him that everything he did prospered because God was with him. That's a whole other message. 
God's the owner, I'm his money manager. Let me just insert this here. God does not reward impulsive stewards. Okay, so before you feel like, okay, Jim, I'm ready. This is going to be awesome. I'm ready to sell everything and do that. God, Jesus told one person in the New Testament to do that, no others. If you sell everything and give it away and God is not telling you to do that, you're a bad steward and you will not be rewarded. Because the steward does what the master says. Here's another little caveat. Jesus said, um, sell everything and give it to the poor. He didn't say, sell everything and give it to my ministry. If there's ever a preacher who is hinting that you should sell everything and give it to him that's called, or her, that's called a cult. Okay? And so, run from that. How are we doing? God rewards obedience. He doesn't reward stupidity or fanaticism. All right. So for now, patience, reflection, prayer, and study are recommended over action on this thing, all right? <coughs> wow. <coughs> that went differently than I saw that in my mind. Those of you who are listening, all this simply did was release healing with my hand and an explosion came out of the atmosphere. I'm not even sure how that happened. You'll have to watch the video. Turn me to Matthew 19. One last uh, story here. You know what? We're going to skip Matthew 19. No, we're not. It's too good. If you got the choice between reading Scripture or hearing my thoughts, we'll go with Scripture. Matthew 19. I know why I can't see. I don't have my glasses on. No wonder. <laughs> ah. I am so sorry. Apparently the glory cloud fog hit me too. Oh, there's actually people here. Awesome. This is great. Verse 16, someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? How many of you guys know the theology is already bad there? What do I have to do, right? Um, Jesus, he's, he's such a genius. Why ask me what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. This guy's again, he's, he's, Jesus, he's, he's moving him towards something. Verse 18, which ones? The man, the, the man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. He gives them six out of ten. Six out of the ten commandments deal with um, your relationship with other people. Four of them deal with your relationship with God. This is genius here. And so this guy, he's educated Jew, he's recognizing, hold on, Jesus is leaving out the four here. You know, what's, what's up with this? The, the four that deal with the relationship with God. Is there something going on in my relationship with God? So he says, uh, I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? Here he's anticipating that Jesus is going to give him something to do, one of these four that maybe he does. Jesus, he could have quoted the other four. He could have said, you shall have no other gods before me, no graven images, shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain, remember the Sabbath day. Those commandments, they had to be in his mind. But Jesus boils it down, and he's, uh, he's going to get at the heart of all those commandments, which is, you shall have no other God before me. And he gets at this guy's secret gods. He gets, a, he gets right to the root of this thing. Verse 21, Jesus told them, if you want to be complete, go sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Listen to this. Sell all your possessions. Take the money you got from selling everything. Give it to the poor and follow Christ. I love it. Jesus could have just said, 
Um, give everything away. Notice Jesus didn't say give everything away. Why did he do this? Because every time this guy had to sell something and take the money from that, it's like peeling a layer of the spirit of mammon off of his heart. He knew this is what was at the root of this guy. This guy, you know, his treasures were in things. So the rich young ruler, Jesus says, listen, you can, you can step into the kingdom. You can step into this worry-free life if you're willing to sell all. Verse 22, but when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. This guy was unable to embrace stewardship, to trust everything to God and Christ and recognize he's the owner, God's the owner, I'm his money manager. This guy, he couldn't pass the most basic test. Now listen to the disciples' response. They're watching this whole thing. This is the very next verse, verse 27. Then Peter said to him, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Peter sees this rich young ruler. He wasn't willing to leave everything behind, but he's like, we did that. What are we going to get? You know. And so I want to stop and let that hit you. The disciples already passed this test. He's like, we, we already did that. This was entrance into the kingdom of God of following Jesus. They already left everything to follow him. I want you guys to see, this wasn't like some super thing. This was level one. Recognizing, God, it all belongs to you. We'll, we'll leave everything to follow you. Leave all, sell all, give all is level one lordship for following Jesus. And he's like, if you're not willing to leave all, sell all, give all, you can't even be my follower. Like, you might still make it to heaven, but you're not going to enjoy heaven on earth through your life. How many of you guys recognize all the promises of the Bible are for disciples? They're written by disciples, and they're for disciples. And Jesus is giving us the ground level for what a disciple is. Leave all, sell all, give all, because it's the opportunity of a lifetime. Why wouldn't I give up these cans of Coke when I can get the entire company? Now you should be getting a little nervous because you're starting to get it. Yeah, I get it. And if you don't see Christ as more valuable than those things, you aren't going to learn a thing from Jesus. Verse 28, Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, you're not going to experience the full impact of all your reward until you get to that heavenly realm. But then Jesus makes this, this interesting promise, verse 29. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. Isn't that interesting? What did the disciples leave? Houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children, property. They left behind the resources of family. They left behind the resources of wealth. And uh, they passed the test of stewardship when they wholeheartedly followed Christ and left behind those possessions, left behind families, inheritance, livelihoods, all those things. And here's what Christ was seeking no less from the rich young ruler. I mean, he was just asking them to do the same thing that all the disciples had already done. But then Christ uses the word everyone, and he makes it a universal principle for every believer. Verse 29, let me read it again. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. Notice the conditions for this promise are actually giving something up, not just being willing to do so. I hear a lot of preachers that quote the hundredfold return in this life. The, the promise is not for giving into an offering plate. It's for under the command of Jesus doing something, giving something up. Even, you know, even like your family doesn't understand all those type of things. When you do that at the command of Jesus and actually have to give something up, you can expect a 100-fold return, we're going to see here, in this life.
When the owner tells you to do something, you do it. When FedEx tells the driver to deliver the package, he delivers the package. Just in case you think it's just a promise of heaven, I told you, Mark chapter 10 here, ready for this, verse 29. Jesus, he's he's telling the same kind of thing, but he adds this phrase. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. I believe the New King James says, in this life. What were you going to receive back? Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. What's persecutions? It means there's going to be tax on it. I'm just kidding. I don't know what that means. And And in the age to come, eternal life. Christ says, when you give it up for me, you will receive 100 times back whatever you gave up for the sake of the gospel in this life. Not if you just give it in a plate or give something through an offering. He's trying to give you a picture that the kingdom's bigger on the inside than it is the outside. You're looking at it, you're trying to get it, but once you come on the inside, you're like, oh, this thing is way bigger than I thought. How do I know if I'm acting like a steward? I love the Jeff Foxworthy things. You might, you might be a redneck if, like, you know, possums, the other white meat, and, you know, I got all that stuff. So you might be a steward if. If I seek God as the owner, if I see God as the owner and I consult him on my wants. I'll be honest with you, as I was preparing this message, I've, I've looked back and I thought, you know what, God, I've kind of slipped into acting as the owner on some things. There's some things that I've wanted and I haven't consulted you on. We've had the money and I've just gone ahead and bought them. And I've, I had to do some repentance. You're like, Jim, everybody does that. Well, not everybody's a follower of Jesus. He's calling us to a better standard. You might be a steward if uh, I don't worry about money. Money's not the source of my provision. Stewards don't have to worry about money. They're taken care of by someone else. Guys, you can literally step into financial freedom today regardless of the condition of your finances. I'm now free to focus on God who loves me and delights in giving me good things. You're steward if you recognize everything I have is a gift from God. I'm a steward of that which he has entrusted me. If you desire to, uh, to steward greater amounts of resources and finances, it's going to require that I allow God to change me significantly on the inside. <clears throat> Let me just say it <clears throat> a little bit mean. Nobody goes from bringing, being a selfish, greedy person to a generous millionaire in one day. There's no generosity tunnel that we can have you go through and lay hands. There's no steward impartation that we're going to be able to release over you. It's going to come from you walking with Jesus and making these decisions. Wealth with God starts with what do you have in your hand? Not some future scenario. Okay, when I have this much money, then... No, 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 no. Boy, that would be terrible if it was always put off to the future. We'd always be waiting for God to do something. But here's where the kingdom starts. The kingdom starts right where you're at. It starts with, what are, you, what are you doing with what you have? He also rewards you according to your ability. That's a whole other sermon. You want to do more? Learn more about money. Learn more about business. Learn more about real estate. Learn more about how to handle money. But here's the good news, is you can become a steward with whatever you have in your hand. The steward recognizes my possessions are cared for by God. When I recognize that all I have is a gift from God, then I can allow him to retain possession, and I'm merely a manager of his resources. So if something is stolen or damaged, I can know that if God wants me to continue to have this item, he can replace it. So I can be free from anxiety over losing my possessions. 
There's a story of John Wesley, the great preacher from a couple centuries ago. Um, someone came to him and said, Mr. Wesley, something terrible has happened. Your house is burned to the ground. Wesley weighed the news and calmly replied, no, the Lord's house is burned to the ground. This means one less responsibility for me. What happened? A steward got some news, and he recognized. I mean, guys, I, we read that. I mean, that's, that's a great story, but can you imagine having that kind of character? Of Wow. I remember I was on staff at another church, and there was this guy who had this really nice car, and it was really nice. And anytime someone would mention how nice it was, he'd say, oh, no, it's not my car. It's God's car. It's the, no, the Lord's car. That's what he kept calling it. It's the Lord's car. It's the Lord's car. And I remember one time um, someone had to go pick up a guest speaker from the airport, and they're like, hey, we need a car. And uh, all of a sudden we got the idea, hold on, what if we use the Lord's car? Like, this would be perfect. Like, it's nice. We could pick up the speaker. He wouldn't have to ride in our cars, you know. And so um, so I went to this guy, and we're like, hey, um, can we use uh, the Lord's car uh, to pick him up? He's like, you're not touching that thing. You could probably scratch it and this and that. And yeah. How many of you guys recognize it wasn't the Lord's car? He was just feeling guilty for spending too much money. All right. I remember when the Lord first began dealing with me. It was probably like in the early 2000s. And so those of you who don't know, I have, I have a big book collection. I've got thousands of books. And uh, I feel like they're my cloud of witnesses cheering me on as I work. And so, and so as I was acquiring this collection, I was a little competitive with my friend Anthony Scoma. We'd take pictures of our libraries to see who had the bigger one. That, that, was just, that has nothing to do with anything. But um, <clears throat> I got more. And so um, anyway, I, I shouldn't have said Anthony Scoma because he's a pastor of a church in um, Austin, Texas. And you know, I don't want him to hear about this. And so <clears throat> anyway... And so people would see my giant library, and they'd be like, hey, can I borrow a book? And it was like, like, I'm like, okay. And so I started lending out books, and um, then they never gave them back. And I'm like, man. So I'm like, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to come up with this system. I'm going to have them, like, check out the books. And so I had them, like, sign a thing when they did it. And then I would have my secretary give notices to them, like, hey, it's been a while. And so this one guy returned the, the book, but he had this comic strip with it. And it was two guys in chains in a prison. And he crossed out the caption, and it said, um, why are you in here? And the, guy, and the other guy said, um, I didn't return Baker's books on time. <laughs> I was like, you know what? Maybe, maybe there's some heart conditions that need to be dealt with here. And so that was like the first steps towards me was like, just, you know what, just giving away the books. So don't come ask me for books and take advantage of me because, you know, I'm in a tender spot with the Lord. Here's the good news about being a steward. You ready for this? Whatever debts I have, he will cover on my behalf. Well, you don't hear that one talked about in getting free from debt. The true steward is focused on his master's business. If you talk to someone and the conversation goes to worry and anxiety over finances, they're preoccupied with someone else. Mammon, we're not preoccupied with God's goodness. I'm not saying we're ignorant of finance. I'm just saying when you begin to worry about it, you're worshiping an inferior God. Fear is just faith in the devil. Fear is imagining a future without God. I've got super good news for you. God's already in your future. He'll be there when you get there. You don't need to worry about it. So I close with this illustration. It's a bizarre one, so stay with me for a second. I got it from a mentor named Craig Hill. He talks about a eunuch. (laughs) Mommy, what's a eunuch? Ask your father. A eunuch in the ancient Near East was a man who had been castrated and therefore had no sexual desire. 
The role of the eunuch was primarily to serve the king's harem. Mommy, what's a harem? Ask your father. <clears throat> I mean, he gets a little nervous. You're like, where is he going with this thing, all right? The harem was comprised of the most beautiful women in the land who were dedicated to the king. Now, what would happen to a man who touched someone from the king's harem uh, in, in a way that was inappropriate? He would be killed, right? And so uh, these women were dedicated to the king alone. They were not to be touched by anyone else. So to ensure that nobody did this, the king would only let a eunuch work with his harem, someone who would have that desire completely removed so they could be completely trusted with his, uh, with his harem. Okay, and It's a crazy illustration, but it's going somewhere. You guys follow me so far? So the primary role of a eunuch was to work with and prepare the bride for her king. He had no desire to take the bride for himself. He'd been totally stripped of that desire. So Craig challenges people, become a financial eunuch. A financial eunuch is someone whose primary role is to handle finances for the king without desiring them for themselves. You would never touch the resource for yourself because the desire had already been dealt with by establishing, God, you're the owner. I'm your money manager. A financial eunuch comes to the Lord, applying for the job of managing and handling an account on behalf of the Lord for the purpose of expanding the kingdom of God. Here's the thing, guys. If you can't handle a small amount for the Lord, you can't be entrusted with greater amounts. Here's the good news, though. If you can begin to handle small amounts with the Lord, have those changes, have those muscles built so that you can carry the weight of blessing without it crushing you, you can be trusted with more. I got a, um, another mentor. He, uh, he tells a story of how he's actually, the Lord has challenged him to give away everything. Uh, it was either two or three times in his life. I can't remember. And so uh, like he's, he's given away cars and not had a ride home. Okay, I'm not, I'm just, just listen to the story, okay? And so one time he gave away all their money while his daughter was in college and they had to make a payment. And just, it was just awesome stories of just supernatural supply that just would blow your mind of how God just met him every single way. And so I was talking to him, and he said, yeah, Jim. He said, right now, he says, I have over $1 million in the bank. I thought, I thought wow, I really like this story. His father was mad at him for being so generous, and his dad was uh, very good with money and a big saver. And at one point, his dad uh, was angry at him, and he said, Dad, uh, he said, why can't you be more like your brother? His brother was really good with money. And he said, Dad, how much money do you have? He told them. He said, how much money does my brother have? He told them. And this guy had more than both of them put together. And the dad's like, oh, wow, I didn't know. What happened? He was a steward. Money flowed through him. But as he told me, Jim, I have more than a million dollars in my bank. It was, it was actually several million. And uh, here, but I, I thought that was awesome. Here's the next phrase. Are you ready for this? And I can't wait for God to ask me to give it all away again. I'll have more stories. Can you imagine being that free with money? Some of you can. Some of you want to. We want, we, we have to grow into this thing. But I don't, I don't know about you. I want, I want all in with God. I want all in with him. So here's what I want to do. I want to, um, I want to just challenge us to give the title deeds to your house. In the, no, I'm not asking you to do that. <laughs> I feel like there are probably a lot of us in this room, probably most of us in the room, we've asked Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. But I'm not sure that we've actually recognized him as our provider. It's one of his names that he gives as provider. And what provider means is that he's the owner, we're his money manager. He's the one, listen, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap. The birds of the air aren't freaking out over their provision. They just have something on the inside that just knows no one can take better care of me than dad. And so what I want to do is I want us to do a little exercise here where we turn our finances over to God. If you're, if you're hearing this 
and the Holy Spirit is dealing with you, you might be a little nervous, you might be a little nervous, but you recognize, you know what, God, I've, I've never taken this step, or maybe it's been a while and I need, uh, I need to re-up on this thing. Uh, if, if the, um, so let's just close our eyes, and if the Holy Spirit is dealing with you, here's what I want you to do. Uh, we're going we're gonna to turn our finances over to him, but I want us to do something symbolic, and so you don't have to, we're not going to come up for it or anything, but I want you to take something that represents your, uh, your finances, whether that be your wallet, maybe you got like a checkbook, maybe it's in your phone, and I want you to just hold it before the Lord. So I'll just give you a second for that if you want to do that. If you don't have anything, then just, you know, pretend there's something in your hand. We're going to offer it to the Lord. But I want us to step into, can you imagine the entire church stepping into financial freedom because we've turned our finances over to God? I mean, this is like level one. Like, man, what, if, if God's already been good to you, what can happen if we give him all? And by turning your finances over to God, you're not doing anything like extra special. You're just stepping into reality. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is going to be awesome because this is how life actually works. And so just between you and the Lord, um, I, you know, as you're doing this, I want you to just hear this phrase. I feel like the Lord gave me this phrase for you. The pressure is off. It's not all up to you. So just hear that over your life. The pressure is off. It's not all up to you. And when Natalie was given that uh, vision about the whirlpool and letting go into the fullness of who he is, fall into the fullness of who you are, and um, I got this picture of like a trust fall for finances. You know what a trust fall when someone stands behind you is like, trust me, I'll catch you. I feel like this is what God's asking us to do, is literally a trust fall with our finances of saying, God, I'm giving it over to you. And so we're not going to do any trust falls here, don't worry. But... um, so as you're holding that wallet, that purse, the, the phone, whatever, just kind of, you know, a lot of people got online banking, whatever it is, just between you and God, I want you to tell him, God, I'm, I'm, I'm giving this over to you. I've, I repent for acting like the owner, and I recognize, Lord, I want, I want the reality of being a steward. I want the reality of having you responsible for my finances, for the supernatural flow flowing into my life. God, I recognize reality. You own it all. And so just between you and God, I'm just going to give you a few moments. I want you to just do that and step into that freedom. Those of you who are a little bit nervous, I just, <clears throat> Lord, I just thank you for an extra grace to just uh, make it quickly known to them how good you are. That that whirlpool that they're letting go, that letting themselves go into, that Lord is just going deeper into your goodness. Lord, I pray that people would experience the reality of you this week as they, like, you're just going to make this real to them. So we just recognize you're the owner, we're your money managers, you own it all. And so, God, we, we are applying to be stewards of your finances so that we can impact our families, our region, this nation, and nations. Thank you, Lord. You are awesome. Let me just say it again to you guys. The pressure's off. It's not all up to you. Nobody can take better care of you than Dad. Amen. All right, let's stand for closing prayer. You guys good? Good.